I was talking to a district leader recently, and uh, I said, uh, he said to me, uh, Steve, I've known you for a long time, but I've never really understood you until today. Sitting in this meeting with you, you're like me. Sarcasm is your native language. <laughs> and it really is. I just said to Bo Young, who was in the lobby back there, I said, uh, so Bo, pray for me today. This sermon, I feel like is really important, um, but it's not real flowery with a lot of stories and jokes and stuff. And so instead of depending on my own wit and charm and cleverness, I'll have to depend on the Spirit of God, right? And I depend on the Spirit of God all the time. I tell you that story, though, to say to you, this is an important message. Uh, It's a message that I feel like we, the church in the United States of America, need to have this information and, and be aware of these things. And I think that people who are borderline with the church, this is the kind of message that they need as well. And so uh, I, I, I'm going to pray before I present it. So let's pray. God, as I speak this morning, just as Josh asked, I pray you would anoint my lips to use them to communicate the way you want me to communicate the things that you want me to say. We give you glory for all you do. We look for your spirit to speak to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I feel better now that I prayed. Isaiah 53, 43 rather. Isaiah 43 is where we're going to be. If you don't have your own Bible, you can grab one out of a pew. There should be a seat. There should be one in a rack near you. And there's a Bible app event for this, as there always is. If you have the Bible app on your phone, click the little menu item, look for an event near you, and you'll be good. So today, since we're approaching Halloween, I want to speak to you about spiritism. That's what I'm going to talk about. You're like, That's, why is that important? I don't have a problem with that. Okay, good. But you're in a minority if you don't, it seems. Because as I'm, you know, cruising the internet, social media and things like that, I see that there's a, an openness to spiritism that maybe you and I aren't as aware of as we maybe thought we were. Now let me talk to you about what I mean when I use that word spiritism. I'm speaking of things like maybe like tarot cards, astrology, numerology, spells, Ouija board, communication with the dead through a medium or other means, curses, crystals, familiar spirit. When I say spiritism, I'm talking about the whole, the whole of the traditionally hidden, and that is what occult means, occult means hidden, practices that fit into that category. Spiritism is really nothing new. You know, in ancient times, you can find it in some of the most ancient civilizations. You can see it in the works of William Shakespeare. (laughs) You can see it on TV all the time. The Bible speaks about it as well. And historically, people have responded to those who practice spiritism in shameful ways. Really. Think of, as Americans, the first thing that might come to your mind would be the Salem witch trials, right? And I I wanted to get my information from a reputable source, so I I found this on the Smithsonian Institute's website. In that course of events during the Salem witch trials, there were 200 men and women that were accused. Until, I think it was Increase Mather, wrote his letter, you could be accused because someone had a dream that you were a witch. Can you imagine that? The numbers of those who were put to death include 14 women and six men. The last one put to death was a 71-year-old man. 
He was put to death by having large stones laid upon him. He was crushed to death. Many of the accusers, many of the perpetrators were professing Christians. Not all of them, naturally. But many of them at least said, we're Christians. And those executions are shameful, regardless of who's behind them. How do you respond to spiritism? I knew a woman who, when she saw a spiritist, maybe at the, the mall or maybe in a fairgrounds or somewhere, you know, she would walk up and verbally confront them and get into a, sometimes a heated argument with them. Her approach, you might not guess this, but it was pretty ineffective, you know? And I think it was just plain wrong. The uh, approach... Uh, Anytime you approach something being obnoxious, you're probably not being effective. You're being counterproductive. It turns people away from Jesus, maybe even turns them toward spiritism. You make a lot more progress when you can treat a human being with respect. And if you haven't thought about this, often people who are interested in spiritism are what we would call spiritual seekers. They're hungry for something. They're looking for something. And maybe, just maybe, it would be wise to approach them with just a question and ask them, have you ever considered that maybe you're looking the wrong place for the treasure you seek? Maybe you're looking the wrong place. Have you ever asked yourself, why is spiritism so attractive? I mean, why do people devote their lives to spiritism? Why why when naturalistic scientists would mock them and laugh at them just like they do with anyone else who believes in the supernatural? Why do they persist in their belief in spiritism, giving it their attention? Why, when, when the Bible warns concerning it, why do people, even people who know God's word, still find themselves engaging in spiritism? I want to give you several reasons why. This is by no means exhaustive. If it was, we'd be here until your child was born. But let me just give you several reasons why spiritism is attractive. And the first reason that I want to share with you is people are drawn to mystery. We're drawn to, drawn to that which is mysterious. In fact, <laughs> there are web pages that teach single guys how to attract girls. And one of the things they said is, be mysterious. I can't tell you how I know that. but <laughs> No, I know that because I looked it up this week. Have you ever been to WikiHow? Have you ever been on that page that teaches you how to fix your lawnmower, how to change the batteries in your flashlight, teaches you how to reboot your phone? There's a WikiHow page that says, here's how to find a girlfriend, be mysterious, and here's how to be mysterious. And if you need that URL, I have it written down right here, and I'll be glad to share it with anyone who would like that. Yeah. Hmm. We are drawn to mystery. And it's not that curiosity is some kind of a bad thing. I mean, curiosity brings us coffee. You know, (laughs) do you ever think of that? Somebody one time, and this is how the legend goes, saw their goat jumping around in Ethiopia. In fact, all the goats were jumping unusually and noted they've been eating the berries, the fruit off of that bush. We call them beans, but they're not technically beans. And now they're really hyper. And before you knew it, some people in Yemen were taking those same beans and they were roasting them and they were grinding them up and they were pouring hot water over them all because they were kind of curious about what would happen if we did this and the outcome. (sighs) It is the elixir of life. 
Yeah. So I'm not saying that curiosity is bad. In fact, there's a mysteriousness to God that draws us to him. You just have to be careful about what you're allowing yourself to be drawn to. Because curiosity about some things isn't always good. Ask the cat about that one. Spiritism is attractive because it feels mysterious and people go there, but they're looking the wrong place. Here's a second reason that spiritism is attractive because some people just, when they're dealing with a problem, they feel like they don't have anywhere else to go. I mean, what do you do when you have a need and no one else seems to be able to give you an answer to be able to fix that? Have you ever heard the phrase, he's a real prayer warrior? Have you ever heard that phrase? I venture to say there are a lot of people that never heard that phrase. Recently, a friend of mine was dealing with some heavy issues in her family just big issues in her family. And she was talking to me about it. And she said, you know, the meeting is just in two days. And uh, I asked blank to pray about it. And so I said to this friend of mine, I said, yes, blank to pray about this. She said, yeah. I said, why? And here's the sentence she said, because that woman is a prayer warrior. She knows how to pray. Hmm. Yeah. Now imagine for a moment, if my friend didn't attend a church, imagine that she had no connection, real connection with Christian people. Imagine she didn't have some kind of a small group where she prayed with or heard other people praying and, and, and she didn't regularly meet with brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe she, <laughs> don't let me step on your toes here, pull them back a little bit. Maybe she came in late to church and left early. You know what I mean? So she really didn't have a connection with, with people in the church and, and she had no experience sharing personal needs with other people so they could pray for her. How would she even know any prayer warriors? How would she even know what a prayer warrior was, Right? Where would she go? It's no wonder a lot of people turn to spiritism, but they're looking the wrong place. Here's a third reason people turn to spiritism, because they feel like God has let them down before. Okay, we have this thing in our church, Kermansville Alliance, real God, we believe he's real and he acts in our lives. Real life, we don't run away from the problems in our life, we face them. Real people, we don't pretend to be someone we aren't. We don't pretend to be real holy when we have struggled with something. That's who we are. So I'm in the third one here. How many of you will say that you went to God in prayer about a really important thing and he didn't come through the way you wanted him to? Put your hand up. Yeah, yeah. I put both my hands up. I put 10 hands up. That happens all the time, right? And for some people, when that happens, it makes them just want to give up. It's made me want to give up from time to time. And for some people, it can tempt them to turn away from the one true God to something other, something that maybe they can control a little bit better. And as tempting as that may be, they're looking the wrong place. Similarly, some people feel like, I can't go to God about this because I've let him down so many times and I'm just ashamed to go to him. They feel like they have no right to turn to him, to speak to him. Listen, listen, if you have shame, don't hide it from God. Run to God. He is the one being in the entire cosmos that is able to take care of your shame. Jesus took your shame with him to the cross. He can free you from it. And when you run to him, he does free you from it. When he, when we take our shame to Jesus, he graciously welcomes us like the prodigal son father welcomed him. 
just as an aside, I've recently taken to asking people who are not real religious to pray for me. Let me explain why I do that. Let me just give you maybe a short story. I was talking to a good friend of mine who hasn't been in church probably for 25 years. He grew up in church, but these days, I don't know, he doesn't go. I don't know where he stands with God. And I've known him throughout this time. And he has reason to feel like he's really disappointed God. He's really let God down. And one might even feel like, well, there's no reason God would answer his prayers. Look what he's done with his life. But let me say this, God listens. Do you hear that? I grew up in a church where people said, God doesn't even hear the sins of someone who is not trusting in Christ as their savior. That is bull-loney is what that is. He couldn't hear you pray for salvation if that were true. Do you understand that? And he knows everything and he hears everything. (laughs) So that idea, God will never listen to me. I'm a sinner is bunk. So I'm talking to my buddy on the phone about some issues he and I are dealing with. And when we parted, usually when we part, I say to him, hey, buddy, I'll be praying for you about this. And he says, thanks, Steve. Thanks. But I've taken to asking people who are not real religious to pray for me. And so this time when I got off the phone with him, I said, hey, buddy, pray for me about this. He said, yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah. I do that for a couple of reasons. One reason is I do that because, hey, I'll take all the prayer I can get. But the second reason I do that is because I want him to know he can go to God. He can go to God. Because guilt and shame, that can be paralyzing. It can cause you to say, man, I would ask God for help here, but I know that I've really blown it, and I knew it was wrong when I was doing it, and I was doing it anyway, and I'm still doing it now. There's no way I can go to God. Where else can I go? Where else can I go? And that shame can cause people to turn elsewhere, and I'll find no help. No hope, because they're looking the wrong place. A very sad reason, this is personally sad to me, that people turn to spiritism is because they want something that Christians have forgotten. They want something supernatural. Let me say this just as clearly as I can. Christianity is not a political worldview with an agenda. Christianity is not a tool to keep your kids from using drugs and getting people pregnant. Christianity is not a clever way for you to get into heaven. Christianity is not having the right belief about the right things. Christianity is not something designed to keep you emotionally healthy. Christianity is not belonging to the right club. Christianity is not a way to feel better about yourself. Christianity is supernatural. The Spirit of God... The Spirit of God, that's pretty supernatural. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to give that an 11. The Spirit of God speaks to your spirit and says something's wrong. That's supernatural. And you turn your heart toward God and you say, you're right, something is wrong, would you help me? That's supernatural. And God shows you that Christ is your hope that he's given his life to atone for your sins. And you begin to understand that. You pray to God and say, God, I need that. I need to change. I need forgiveness. I need Jesus to wash away my stain and my sin and my guilt. I hate what I've done and what I'm doing. Will you please help me? You cry out to him in prayer. And that is supernatural. And then God does it. He washes away your sins. He forgives you. 
It's like being born all over again. And that is supernatural. And then, man, catch this. The spirit of the most high God descends upon you and comes into your heart and sets up dwelling in your very heart. I can't think of anything more supernatural than that. Christianity is supernatural. And that's why in biblical Christianity, prostitutes turn into heroes. Read about it. It's in there. Broken people whose lives are a mess have their lives put back together. Look around. It's happened and it's happening. Murderers become people who lead God's people out of bondage to a promised land. People, murderers become people who write portions of the scripture. It's in there. People in bondage that just felt like they could never, ever change are changed and set free. Look around you. It happens here. Fishermen. (laughs) Fishermen in little boats on a little sea called Galilee are transformed into world changers. Read about it. It's there. And people with little more than selfish interests begin to pour their lives into others. Look around. It's here. All of that is supernatural. And that attracts. That is attractive. But much of what is portrayed as Christianity in our day is little more than staying out of trouble, hanging out with the right people, and believing the right stuff. And to someone who's seeking, someone who has spiritual hunger, that kind of religion seems like a whole bowl full of nothing. It's like tofu. It's like rice cakes without any salt. It, it's like dry toast. Ugh. Christianity is powerless without the supernatural, and it's not biblical without the supernatural. In fact, Christianity is not Christianity without the supernatural. And so people go looking elsewhere. They're looking the wrong place. They're looking the wrong place. It's no wonder some turn to spiritism out of a desire to be different. They don't want to be like everybody else. They don't want to be like a lot of Christians they see. Being different, by the way, isn't a bad thing. Jesus was a nonconformist, and the Bible warns us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed supernaturally by the renewing of your mind. Some, Some see spiritism as a way just to be different from the things they see that they don't like. They're looking the wrong place. Some see spiritism some turn to spiritism because of a desire to control things. Think about it for a moment. The creator God who made heaven and earth, he comes with some expectations. We all know that. He is sovereign, like a king. And he's not like the king or the queen of England. You understand that is a constitutional monarchy that has limitations on the king and queen that they can only do A, B, C, and D. They can't do the other letters of the alphabet that they might want to do, the Constitution limits them. However, there are places like, I don't know, maybe Qatar, maybe Saudi Arabia, where it's not a constitutional monarchy. It is an absolute monarchy. In the country where my children live, all the king has to do is send a text, and suddenly speeding tickets are no longer $55, they're $5,000. And he can do that because he's the sovereign. He's the sovereign. Well, 
God's the sovereign. He's the one that's in control. My wife likes to say God's sovereignty means he can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, to whoever he wants to do it, wherever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. That's the sovereignty of God. He's sovereign. And I got to tell you, until you understand who God is and understand the greatness of his life for you, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? I don't know if I can trust God to be in, in control, and do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, to whoever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, why ever. I don't know if I can do that until you begin to realize the depth of his great love for you. And suddenly his sovereignty isn't as much of a problem as it is a blessing. Humans, we like to be in control. Sometimes that desire for control can be kind of dark. Someone might want something to happen that they know, well, the God of the Bible would never do this, so I'm going to go somewhere else to have a son. He wouldn't even permit it. And so they turn to darkness to see that happen through maybe a curse or a hex or a spell. Darkness. That is never where you want to be. And if you're looking to darkness, you're looking the wrong place. Another reason that people are drawn to spiritism is because evil is not just a philosophy. Evil is not just an idea. Satan is not just a concept, the representation of darkness. Demons are not make-believe. Rather, evil spirits are real. Anyone who has dabbled in spiritism begins to sense this pretty early on. And they tend to think, well, yeah, evil spirits are real, but I don't hang out with the evil spirits. I hang out with the good ones. I am not a... An agent of darkness or a practitioner of darkness. I am a practitioner of the light in my spiritism. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 13, the Bible speaks of people who have been deceived by evil spirits. Let me just read you three verses. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Did you hear that sentence? Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerades as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Evil spirits are real. Evil spirits are active. Evil spirits are tricky, deceptive. Evil spirits are not your friend. Evil spirits are evil. They're evil. But some people are attracted to spiritism because they have mistaken demons for friends and they're looking the wrong place. Now, as you think about these things, do you remember way back at the beginning when I said, open your Bibles to Isaiah 43? Were you wondering if I ever get there? I'll be there by the 1st of December. No, we're going to be there right now. Isaiah 43 is where we're going to be. And it's passage of scripture I think will help you with this concept a little bit by telling you who God is. I'd like to read the whole chapter, but time won't permit that. So we're going to read just verses here and there down through 43. If you have your Bible open, that will be helpful to you. I want to talk to you about the God you should turn to, the God of the Bible. And the very first verse of Isaiah 43 tells us that he's personal. He's not some force. He's not some inanimate object. He's not some just river that flows. He's not Mother Earth. He's personal. And he calls us to himself. The God who made heaven and earth and all that is in them says, Hey, Sean, I want you. 
He doesn't just call you like, hey, you. Well, let's read it. It's verse one. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You don't have to conjure God. I even kind of object to the line in a program, sometimes you'll see it says invocation, like we have to invoke his presence. He's here. He's already here. You don't have to conjure God. You don't have to perform some kind of ceremony to get his attention. You don't have to light incense. You don't have to draw a diagram. You don't have to chant a chant. You simply need to open your eyes. You just need to open your ears. And you can hear him. And when he calls you, you respond, yes, what is it that you'd like? He calls you by name. Why would you go to anyone else? Why would you go to anyone else? The very next verse notes that he is a redeemer, and that word redemption means he exchanges the bad we have done for good, and he gives us good in place of it. And the, you know, the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, I believe I've said before that it was years before I understood why it had that title. That seemed like a weird title. You know that Stephen King, part of his education is theology, so he knows what the word redemption means. What happened there and why that is a redemptive book, a redemptive story, I should say, is because someone was unjustly imprisoned for basically all, all his life, and it was a terrible, tragic, unjust a rotten, stinking thing to have happened to you. And yet, through a series of events that occurred, that imprisonment was redeemed and had meaning. And there was actually joy throughout the story. And that's what God does with your life. He, he takes the bad things in your life, even your sins, and he takes them and he says, I will redeem these. I'll take the guilt and shame from you. And this evil that you have done, I will work to make good from it. And you know, I have done evil things that I can't believe the good has, that God has drawn from them. Let me tell you what some of them are. That's ah, none of your business what they are, right? But you can see God doing that all the time. And not only does he take the evil that we have done and redeem it and bring good from it, he takes the evil that has been done to us and he redeems that and brings good for him. Why in the world would you go to anyone else? Take a look at the redemption passage there. It says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, in verse 1. Right in the middle of the verse. And then down in verse 25, he says, I, even I, that means I, yeah, I'm talking about me, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Why would you go to anyone else? (laughs) When you turn to the God of Scripture, you find that he's protective of those he loves. He keeps you safe and secure. It's interesting, as I was studying spiritism this week, I found an article that indicated something I've kind of noticed myself, that spiritism always gets a little boost whenever there's a crisis. So like if there's um, a war, spiritism gets a little bump. If there's, uh, how about like a worldwide pandemic, spiritism gets a little bump from that. And what that should tell you is that fear is a huge factor and why people turn to spiritism. But helping us overcome fear, man, that is God's specialty. He does it so well. Listen to verse two. It says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
through the most difficult, the most troubling, the most dangerous times of your life, God is saying, I will take care of you. Why would you go to anyone else? Why would you go to anyone else? And on top of that, he's all powerful. Did you hear Mr. Thatchick when he began to pray this morning? Josh stood up here, his first words. Anybody remember what they were? Almighty God. I love that. I love that. Because Josh is a pretty tough guy. I think I could probably take him, but he's pretty tough. (laughs) In my dreams. I don't dream of beating you up, Josh. And when I hear a man acknowledge that there is one who is mightier than him, that just feels good to me. If I hear a woman say it, it feels good to me too. Because he is. One time there was a young man, I'm guessing he was like 18 or 19 years old. I was probably 10 years older than him. He visited our church. My wife and I were having him and his girlfriend or his wife, I can't remember which, over for cookies or ice cream or whatever we had that evening just to kind of get to know them a little bit. And he said a sentence to me. He said, Pastor Steve, let me tell you something. If you knew the power of Satan, you'd be shaking in your shoes right now. And then he kind of went, and I wasn't, right? I wasn't. (laughs) And and then he kind of went on and, and he kind of led me to think that he thought that Satan had won at Calvary. And I'm like, have you read the story? Have you read the story? He, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the victor on the cross and after the cross. Unless you maybe haven't noticed, Satan did not put Jesus on a cross The Jews did not put Jesus on the cross. The Romans did not put Jesus on the cross. Technically, you and I didn't even put Jesus on the cross. Jesus put Jesus on the cross. He says it. He says it in John chapter 10. In verse 17, he says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is a command I received from my father. Yeah. Almighty God, powerful, above all powers. Really, the only tool that Satan seems to have is his lying tongue. That's pretty much it. When I read uh, uh, verse 11, I think of God's power. Follow along as I read it. It says, I, even I, the Lord, apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, not some foreign God among you, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? He's powerful. He's all powerful. Why would you turn to anyone else? And chapter 43 tells us that he's saving. He is the one who rescues. In verse 16, God talks about delivering his people from bondage, from slavery. Follow along as I read, it says, this is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. You know what he's talking about, right? He's remembering about seven centuries earlier before this, how he, through Moses, a murderer, by the way, he brought the people out of Egypt to take them to the promised land. He's bringing his people out. He takes them through the Red Sea. The water's piled up on both sides and are walking through as on dry ground. And when they get to the other side, I just get this picture of God going like, come on, 
Come on, little army. It's the superpower of the planet that's chasing them, by the way. Come on, boys. Come up. Bring those chariots. Bring those horses. I warned you. You didn't want to deal with it. Come on, Pharaoh's army. And when they all got in there, they are no more. They are no more. And what's he doing? He's rescuing his own. But listen to what, look at the next verse. In the next verse, he kind of says, forget about that though. Uh, He doesn't want them to forget about it, obviously, but he says, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. Don't live on the blessings or the curses of the past. Rather, verse 19, he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You see, when you follow Jesus with eyes wide open, you will see that you can count on God to be there for you. He rescued yesterday, but don't just live in yesterday because he will rescue today and tomorrow. He prepares a way in difficult places. He gives you all you need and more. Why would you look anywhere else? Now, the Bible has a lot of passages that talk about, that warn about, engagement in spiritism. And some of them are really heavy passages. There's one of them that I know of, there may be more, but one of them I know of that gives you the why. I mean, God, why don't you want me to do the Ouija board thing? Why don't you want me to to check in with my grandma through this medium over here? I miss my grandma. She's been dead for a long time. Why don't you want me to do this to find counsel on which way to go and how to live? Why? And, And the answer is both explicit and implicit. In Isaiah chapter 18, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 19. Isaiah's writing, and listen to what he says. He says, when someone tells you to consult a medium and spiritists, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who, man, I can't see, that's really little letters back there. I should have sat closer to the front. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, Should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? So explicitly there, God's saying, it's kind of a dumb thing to check with them when you can check with me. And implicitly, it's kind of an insulting thing to do that. Because remember, he calls you by name. And he wants a relationship with you. Why would you go anywhere else? Now that particular part of the message might make you feel like, okay, but how do I inquire of God? How do I look to the Lord? How do I get answers from him? I'm going to answer that from James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Warning. If you are familiar with scripture, as soon as I begin to read James chapter 1, verse 5, if you haven't done it already, you're going to go like, oh yeah, I know that passage. And then you're going to just feel like, I really don't have to pay good attention here. But but I want to say, as I was preparing this message, something occurred to me that I'd never seen before in these two verses, and I never heard anyone preach on it before. And although the guy that taught me to preach said, hey, if you come up with an idea no one else has ever come up with before, don't preach it. I'm going to preach it. Okay? It kind of works. James chapter 1, verse 5. How do I look to God? How do I inquire of him? is first, you ask him for wisdom. Look at the text on the screen. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. A couple things to say about that. Number one, 
you remember the guy said he has too much shame and he feels like he can't ask God, so he goes to spiritists instead? Do you notice what that says? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously and doesn't find fault. So God's not going to say, oh, now you're coming to me. Well, you just see if I ever listen to you, because where have you been for the past several years, buddy? James says, no, he's not that kind of God. In fact, the whole, the whole Bible says he's not that kind of God. The other thing, and this is a thing that never occurred to me. Somehow or other, and maybe, maybe everybody knew this, and I'm the only one that didn't know it, and the reason none of the commentaries said it is because it was so self-evident that everybody knew this. Nah, it can't be the case because I've seen too many people come to me and they've said to me, you know, I need wisdom and I've asked God for the answer. Should I do A or should I do B? And he hasn't given me the answer. The passage doesn't say he gives you the answer. Did you see that? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously without finding fault and it, wisdom, will be given you. I want to tell you that's better than giving you A or B. That's wisdom. And when he gives it to you, it becomes part of you. And you transition, and it may take time, but you transition from your foolishness to having the wisdom of the Spirit in you so that you can make decisions. You know, Nissa Bell Caldwell is here. Everybody who knows her dad knows he's probably one of the most wise men I've ever met. He has a spiritual gift of wisdom oozing from him. It's very clear. He will be the first to tell you. First, if you heard me say that, you say, no, I don't. No, I don't. That's because he's wise. The second thing, he'll be the first to tell you it wasn't always like that. And his daughter's nodding. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It wasn't always like that. Ask Anissa to tell the story of the chainsaw. <laughs> do you know the story of the t- chainsaw, DJ? Oh, neither of you do. That's such a great story. I'll tell it sometime if he won't. (laughs) When you ask God for wisdom, he does give you wisdom. He doesn't just give you the answer. Buy the blue car, not the red car. It's not what he's doing. He's giving you wisdom so that you don't have to go to a seer. You don't have to go to someone with a crystal ball. You don't have to go to a medium. You don't need a Ouija board. You don't need a horoscope. When you ask God, he gives you wisdom and you can discern the right path from the heart in your chest that he is transforming by his spirit. Second, how do I look for God? Ask him for wisdom and then trust him to do as you ask. The very next verse says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because when one doubts, one is like a leaf blowing down Susquehanna Avenue past Kerbinsville Alliance Church, tossed by the wind. That's not exactly what it says, but that'll work, right? You get the point, right? I'm just keeping you awake. That's all I'm doing. So listen to this, listen to this. That doesn't mean you have to like, oh, I got to believe and not doubt. I got to believe and not doubt. And like you blow a blood vessel in your brain trying to not doubt. It's simpler than that. It's just when you ask God for wisdom, trust him. Don't live a life of second guessing yourself. Walk in faith with God. Christ, he is all sufficient. The title of the sermon is Spiritism and the All-Sufficiency of Christ. The point of the sermon is Why would you turn anywhere except to Jesus for what you need? (laughs) He will give you what you need. You don't need someone else. But wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. 
Before any of that happens, you have to belong to him. You have to belong to him. And to belong to him, you turn your heart to him. To belong to him, you give him your heart. The woman that plays the piano, she belongs to me. Do you know why? She gave me her heart. I belong to her. Do you know why? I gave her my heart. To belong to God, you acknowledge that you need him, that you need his forgiving work on the cross because there's garbage in your life that just needs cleaned up. And you say, Jesus, I need you. And you receive his forgiveness, forgiveness for your own shortcomings. I believe that you died to atone for my sin. And I trust that your death on the cross pays for my sin and allows me to be forgiven. Please forgive me. And when you do that, when you experience that supernatural forgiveness of God, then, then gratitude overflows in your heart. And you follow him. You worship him because you love him. I want to pray this morning that all our hearts would belong to God and we would find all we need in him. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. And let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you have everything we need and that we don't have to turn to anything, to anything for our our deep, deep, deep needs in our heart, but rather you provide all of those. I pray for each one of us here that each of us has come to a point where we recognize the greatness of your love and where we have actually looked into our own hearts and heard your Holy Spirit's voice saying to us, there's some refuse, there's some garbage in your heart and that we would recognize that Christ died to pay for that and that we would turn to him and say, Jesus, Please forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for being a sinner. I believe that when you died on the cross, you paid for all my redemption. And having trusted him as our Savior, may our hearts turn away from the refuse-producing cycle that is common to man. And may we follow Jesus. May we let go of things of the past. Maybe, maybe spiritism is one of those things. Maybe, maybe it's just bad habits, bad language, bad attitudes, treating people poorly, dishonesty, whatever it is, God. Turn our hearts away from that as we follow you because we are so grateful for what you've done and what you do in our lives. Thank you, O supernatural Christ, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.